Hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Kinky Boys podcast. Before we get to the interview, I of course have to thank our daddy's favourite level patrons. William, Ocknerv, Banjo Stewie, Adam F, Brian C and Harry Hypnotist. You are all daddy's favourites and I hope you enjoy this episode along with our good boys. Hello and welcome to the bonus episode of the Kinky Boys podcast. For all you lovely subscribers, this is for you. So today we've got a very interesting topic. We're talking about sort of queer people and animal archetypes and sort of why do queer people sort of label themselves using animals so much. Joining me, we have someone very versed in this topic, Adam, aka Leather. Hi, I'm Adam. I go by Scottish Leather Boy Online. I am also a furry and have been for a long time <laughs> in my career. So I've I've done a lot of introspection on this and I, I know that a couple of things that I've thought about in regards to this are definitely based on my experience. So hopefully that'll be good. Yeah. And part of what got me wanting to invite you on is we met up in the pub the other day and we just sort of really nerded out about like folklore <laughs> and mythology because we are both huge folklore and mythology nerds. And I thought oh, yeah. this would be a good thing to bring into the podcast. Yeah, I mean, we we had a, a solid two hours mm-hmm. of just like hyper focused chat. It was yeah. great. But obviously, I've uh, we got started because I I wrote an essay about like Selkie mythology and Scottish mm-hmm. mythology, and I sort of talked about how that responded to people in Scotland at the time and how people identified with that myth and then I also wrote a queer comic about that myth kind of embodying parts of that because I think especially in mythology a lot of these representations of animals and stuff typically are cultural fears or cultural relation or things that people identify with. Yeah and and this is sort of a big jumping on point for us with like so it, it tends to be a trend with like queer people that we pick up animals to sort of act as representatives. And this seems to be across all cultures. Like for this, like I'm mostly going to use my knowledge of sort of like Western sort of European sort of trends, but there are so many across the board throughout the world. Yeah. So... I think, shall we start with perhaps what might be one of the most well-known ones? And I think this is probably going to take the bulk of our time, which is the bear community. Yes. Yeah. So obviously most people, if you're familiar with gay men, although not limited to gay men, especially not these days, bears. The bear community tends to be a community of getting hard definitions is always a bit difficult because it varies. and. The bear community tries to be inclusive, which means hard rules for inclusion are often fuzzy. Generally speaking, bears are a body positivity movement of larger, hairier guys. This often started as sort of a sort of pushback against late 70s, early 80s sort of body trends of being either hairless and quite muscular or even quite skinny. And yeah... And it sort of grew from there. So historically, who started the term bear is also 
debated. Generally speaking, the first time a bear was ever defined that we know of in print was the comic strip Who's in the Zoo, printed in The Advocate in 1979. And this is essentially a comic strip that goes through each of the different sort of people you'd meet in queer bars and what sort of animal they're represented by. And of course, it had a bear which was the lovely, cuddly guy, often enjoyed to eat, liked his beer, big beard, hairy, and generally sort of listed off the attributes we ascribe to sort of bears largely. And then, yeah, of course, later on, it really got finalized by the publication of Bear Magazine in 1989. Yeah. And in between then, it was often quite an online community, lots of meetups, very taking advantage of the early internet. One of the little historical artifacts I love, because I used to do it when I first came out, was the bear code. Now, this was because the internet wasn't always high-speed broadband, and sometimes pictures took a long time to load. Instead of a picture, you would give a descriptive code called the bear code. And it would essentially be bear cub thing represented by a d and a letter and all the different attributes like belly beard fetish submissiveness all that would be letters and numbers i'm trying to remember what my original bear code would be it's funny that you should say this though because i had no clue this was a thing (laughs) and i'd seen it on your your mastodon profile and i'd like googled it and got nothing back and it was only when i was doing my research for this that i came across like a big paragraph about it and was like oh that's what that is yeah yeah i I had like an inclination that it must have been something like that but i I, yeah google was very unhelpful until until i got very specific with the search Uh, yeah this is the thing it's one of those niche little sort of community message board things that would be so easily forgotten yeah, I mean, there's so many, so many random little things like that. Obviously, my my boyfriend is an an older guy; he's a bear, mm-hmm. and you know, we we talk about like differences in the online community when it first started out, when he first got involved with it, and then like now, when there's so many little niche things that are almost undocumented. It's it's a shame, honestly, that there's not some you know big handbook that covers it start to like current. Yeah, I mean. There was the Bear Book, Volume 1 and 2. I definitely recommend people check them out. I actually got them back from my parents because they lived on my bookshelf for years. (laughs) So I finally got them. And yeah, they are sort of very tongue-in-cheek, very light, but sort of documentation of the Bear community at that time, which I believe was mid-90s they were published. Yeah, they they definitely came up on my research, but I I didn't Mm. get a chance to skim them because... Not to be funny, if you don't own physical copies of these things, even excerpts are really hard to find. I, a big part of my research was the 2008 book, Fairies, Bears and Leathermen, which goes into like different subcultures in the gay community. I but have that. I found very interesting, and there's a quote <laughs> that I, I put on my notes. It was, one of the most intriguing features to appear on the queer cultural landscape in the last 15 years is the bear subculture. During that time, many gay men seeking to resist the stereotypical association with homosexuality with effeminacy have found the hirsute masculine image of the bear enormously attractive. Which I find interesting, but I don't think is entirely true. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, do you want to expand on that? Yeah, I, I don't think... I, I Obviously, there's always, like, anyone in the gay community, there's going to be people that are absolutely obsessed with every fractal of mm-hmm. masculinity. But the bear community on the whole, in my experience, has been quite wholeheartedly open of the more, like, effeminate and camp and outwardly mm. gay, gay, gay type. So I, f- I find that quote really interesting, but I think since, even since 2008, that's changed quite a lot. Yeah, it it is interesting because one of the things I found when like doing a bit of research for this is the quote of, I think it was the guy that originally published Bear Magazine, talked about it strictly in physical definitions, like it's people who are primarily attracted to secondary male physical characteristics. So like body hair, high body fat, beards, that sort of stuff. And there was no mention of behavior, like nothing saying we're attracted to straight acting, quote unquote, straight acting or rugged or butch. It was like purely the physical aspect, which I, as exclusionary, and again, I mentioned earlier, it's quite hard to define what exactly includes someone in the bear community because no one wants to exclude people purely like if you don't have the right body for it. Mm-hmm. Because the whole community was kind of started as a reaction to like exclusionary body policies. Yes. But at the same time, you really don't want to say, well, it's for rugged masculine men because there are tons of camp bears out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, the hmm. majority of bears that I know, I would say are, are, are pretty camp. That could be because I'm pretty camp and I feel like incredibly masculine focused gay men in general are probably less likely to be friends with me but i i would say like bears are are, are like on the whole quite camp yeah and here's the thing like i could go on about my whole sort of thesis of the difference between sort of butch as a sort of queer masculine expression where, like, butch is to masculinity what drag queens are to femininity. Yeah. In that it's this very queered, sort of, almost sort of extreme, I don't want to say pastiche, but it's taken the elements and signifiers and turned them up to 11. Yeah. But in sort of, but almost in a tongue-in-cheek way. Like, I always get this whenever I see a bluff guy who's, like, in the full bluff uniform with a cigar that's half the size of his head smoking. And it's like, at some point you took sort of some base masculine sort of visuals and just pushed them up and up and up and up to the point yeah. where they're kind of, I don't want to say ridiculous, but walking around in straight society, you would be considered ridiculous for that. There is a guy local to me on Recon, somewhat local to Mm. me on Recon, and his whole profile is less about fetish and more about, like, I I only like masculine men, I'm gender critical, I'm right wing. It's more of, like, Mm. a political thesis than Mm. it is a Recon profile. But then you look at his photos and he is performing gender. Like, he's performing gender more than most of us are performing gender it's like you know the, yeah. the popped collar and like the really like fake scowl and the cigar and the posing his arms out like this and i'm like you're essentially doing drag but it's a fetish for you and you you, you know you 
have this whole thesis about how you hate people who dare go off the lines of gender, but you're not in the lines of gender. Men aren't like that. You're like a perversion of what men are like. Exactly. And it's it's very noticeable because there are terms for even like women and gender non-conforming people to be brought into the bear community. Like there's she bears, mama bears, Goldilockses. I love that. That is mm. fierce. I've definitely met like one or two women that I would describe as like mama bears, where they oh, yeah. are very much an embodiment of the bear community, but are women, but are very rugged. And like, I actually find that with a lot of them, they're very naturally rugged as well. It's just yeah. like as a result of who they are. I actually find people like that really interesting. It's why I always find it wild when people are like, there's, there's certain men who believe that women don't have, like, any space in, like, queer kink communities, and it's just, like, I'm so over it, because the, the people who do not fit in the, you know, the, the two lines yeah. are some of the most interesting people that I've met. Oh, totally. Totally. It, like, I can understand where some of this pushback comes from, especially with, like, the sort of phenomenon of the drunk hen night. Mm-hmm. Like... Everyone has had experience with sort of the drunk head night girls that essentially invade a queer space and that they're not queer and they're not good guests, as it were. But that kind of ruins it for a lot of people who, you know, know how to behave in a queer space and are part of the queer space and are quite natural and fit into that environment. Mm -hmm. Like, I know tons of... Well, not tons, but I know plenty of leather women that come along to sort of the London events and fit in perfectly. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's almost weird because it's like that that has been a part of the community as well, like uh, like leather women and like girls. I can't say the word, but on bikes uh, is like that's been a big thing since like the inception of the leather community, where where lesbians. Of course, because there's many rugged lesbians take on yeah. bike and bear aesthetics. Oh yeah, definitely. And to sort of pull it back to, because we sort of strayed from bears to leather. but As we do. Yeah, it, there is always the question of what counts as a bear? Because you have people who don't always fit the physical nature of a bear but still want to be in the community and are still accepted as a community. And often they'll be told, you know, bear is a state of mind. But at the same time, in like, because communities are vast and varied and weird, especially location to location, I know a lot of people who say like, so bears from so-and-so city or so-and-so country are sort of really exclusionary. And if you don't fit the physical aspect, aesthetic then you're not sort of accepted into the community because we should say like by now bears are found all around the world and communities and the qualities and values of a community vary from location to location oh like anything i mean yeah there there are scenes like kink scenes nowhere near me that i've heard tales about because they're so exclusionary like i think the overall quality of these things varies to be place to place and also by the people that are leading them. That is probably the most important factor, I would say. And there will always be someone leading these communities or someones. They, yeah. they don't just... 
anyone who's lived somewhere small can tell you that these communities don't form out of nothing. They don't form out of thin air. Somebody needs to put the work in. I mean, the the current leather scene in Scotland's a great example of that. Sorry, I've strayed back to leather, but no, it's, like leather is a good example, and it's the one we have the most sort of history with, like personally. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, I considered myself a bear at, and looking back, I could barely grow a beard. I was really skinny and twinkish, but I knew that was the community I wanted to be a part of. Well, we talked about this the other night, is that I love the bear community, Mm -hmm. really identify with the bear community. I'm a total, total chaser. See, and I would disagree with that. I feel like I fit within the community but everybody tells me otherwise yeah you are what i would define as a cub oh yeah i appreciate that i I, because that makes me blush because to me that's like a massive compliment Mm. (laughs) like everyone i spoke to is like no i would identify as a cub but i don't feel like that but i think that's probably because of glorification as well that i you know adore the bear community and adore bears and cubs so yeah no, I totally think you are a bear, but like, I mean, cubs is a good one. Like often it refers to a younger bear mm-hmm. can also be more submissive because often, again, it can be a mindset, not a physicality. Yeah. And I always remember, I think it was a line from the bear book. Someone talked about, again, jumping back to, we was talking about gender roles. Bears often combine sort of what is considered classically masculine, the hair, the like the aesthetic, but also a lot of sort of feminine qualities. Often they're like rounder, like bigger hips, bigger asses. A lot of fat, like the big chubby bears have tits. And there is this sort of almost like the author described it as like an earth mother look to a lot of bears, as well as they are quite nurturing. Yeah. We're now figuring out where your whole aesthetic comes from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I also, I found something interesting when I was reading, what's that, Fairies, Bears and Leatherman, that Mm -hmm. there was a bit where he asks a bunch of different interview subjects, like, because he's talking about what constitutes the bear. So he asks a bunch of different subjects and the answers are all completely different. So one says, you know, physical attributes such as stockiness, height, weight, how much facial fur you have. Mm things along those lines but other people see it as being 90% attitude 10% looks then someone else puts it's natural dim to earth easy going likes to have fun and then somebody else put closer to the heterosexual community and their tastes and then somebody else said a sense of independence so like all the answers were completely different on what yeah they are and it's more of a a general energy i suppose than anything it's it's hard to say essentially, but like yeah. I don't know if it looks like a bear and talks like a bear and woofs like a bear, then it's probably a bear. Oh, that always confused me. Why do bears go woof? Well, like I it was always gur as well. Yeah, gur makes sense, but it's also quite hard to do an onomatopoeic version of what the sound a bear makes because it's like a long drawn out yawning sound i hear my boyfriend make that noise every morning (laughs) no but yeah the woof thing but that's kind of because it's weird because pups don't really use it yeah even confusing (laughs) yeah but the sort of cruising call when you was passing a guy you liked at a bear event you'll just go woof like say woof and 
Yeah. Oh my god, I was born without the cruising gene. That terrifies me. Same. My, Same. My, right where we live, right next to where we live, is a place that used to be massive for cruising back in the heyday. And my boyfriend went cruising there tons and tons, and he tells me all these stories. And I'm like, you have a desk job and get nervous when I pirate films, which I don't do because that would be illegal yeah. and very immoral. How are you going to then talk about like, yeah, but I was, I was doing X, Y, and Z in a park at like two in the morning. Like, <laughs> but I, I, older, older gay men are just built different. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like it is a skill. Like who's, who is it? Uh, Edge. He does podcasts and sort of video vlogs. And one of the first ones he did is he talked through the steps of like cruising someone on the street. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Someone actually explained the steps to me and what they signify. And like, why has no one done this before? I need, cause, cause that's the, that's the autism though. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, cause I've had this with Ed, but I'm like, well, what are the, what are the, you know, what do you do? And he's like, well, there's not really like a rule book. And I'm like, there should be. The one that he gave me that I've now taken on is he always says about the five second rule, which is if you see someone that's hot and they walk past you, wait five seconds and then look over your shoulder. And if they're looking as well, like, oh, it's like a thing, but I, that's not happened to me, unfortunately. But I do do it sometimes when I see a yeah. really hot guy, just in case. <laughs> But you see these guys every so often, some of the really crazy guys on Twitter, like, uh, there's one that I follow, and it seems like every time he travels, he's, like, got pulled into a bathroom with this guy at the airport. I'm like, how is this? I can't even, like, I can't even think words in an airport. I'm so overwhelmed and stressed. Yeah. How are you, like, where, first of all, where did the suitcases go? Like, the Mm -hmm. (laughs) carry-on? Second of all... (laughs) How does that even happen in an airport? If you look somebody in the eyes in the airport, I think you get arrested. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I like you. I just don't have it built into me to do that sort of level of non-verbal communication with people. But yeah, I, I think like a lot of people try and talk about how bears try and embody the sort of associated characteristics of like the animal, the bear, which. Like that in itself is fascinating to me. So this is where the history and mythology nerd and the pagan side of me comes out where like, so bears across cultures are generally automatically considered mysterious and sacred because they're considered semi-human. They're like on a bridge between the animal kingdom and the human world because they are almost seen as like a cousin species where they're kind of way more human than most other animals. And they're often ascribed a sort of a mystical quality because of that. Mm-hmm. And they are like, bears are fascinating. So one of the things bears do that most other animals don't is appreciate beauty. Like researchers were noticing a lot of bears would go up and either climb trees or walk up to the top of hills and mountains at the time of sunset. And I was like, what are they doing? Is this like part of their day? Is this them searching for food, searching for a place to sleep? And it's not. They would just sit there, settle in, and watch the sunset. And they concluded like, oh my God, bears just like really like appreciating the beauty of a sunset, which most other animals don't do. Yeah, that... 
Yeah, and that is really interesting. And I know that, like, at least in Scottish mythology, obviously there's one very well known representation of a bear in Scottish mythology, Brave, which is mm-hmm. not, by the way, accurate to any. It was like loosely based off of a story, but like very loosely. Yeah. But I know that in Scottish mythology, like bears are often like they they can be like maternal representations, as it is in like Brave. They can be cultural fears. And even in some, they can be like, there's one that I read about where it was like theorized that the bear was sort of like a representation of like the inner self, essentially, yeah. which I find really interesting because that kind of really ties into the bear community. And it kind of tied into like something that I put in my notes when I was looking at stuff was the queer community seemingly attached themselves to animals, less so out of like dehumanization of self, like a lot of non-queer people would think about representing yourself with an animal and more so of a desire to identify with positive traits of that animal or to distance themselves from humanism because frankly humans have not always been very kind yeah. to the queer community and it kind of ties into obviously myself anyone who knows me knows that like my career is that I'm a furry artist so I deal with like a lot of furries who are in a similar boat and I always say like my first one is a lion and it's not because I think I look like my first owner. I think I look like a lion. Like I'm not exactly winning in the main department, but you know, I, when I switched personas in the height of lockdown, it was because I wanted to embody like the aspects of a lion, like a sense of pride, protective over their family and their tribe, so to speak, like big, strong, like they're, they're, they are a symbol of self-pride and that was something that I wanted to embody at the time because I wasn't particularly feeling like that. And I think a lot of bears kind of seek that comfort in the the ID, the, the iconography of bears yeah. as well, where a lot of people who are bears, they're not just, they haven't just taken on the bear community They've taken on the iconography as well. I know lots of bears that have tattoos of bears. The mm-hmm. bear paw, obviously, is the big symbol. They wear a lot of, like, clothing related to bears. like, And they see the things that bears do as, like, a personal iconography. Yeah. And that is something I really want to dig into. because it Because, like, obviously you have the cuddly aspect, like teddy bears. Like, bears have always been seen as... There's, they've got this weird duality where they are like one of the most powerful, vicious sort of apex animals you can encounter. But they're also really lazy, laid back and just really cuddly looking. Oh, yeah. Like they don't look like an apex predator should. They don't have the pointy ears. Even their paws, even though they've got the huge claws, just look meaty and bappy like they look like bappers <laughs> they they are literally bappers i mean yeah. i'm currently like the commission i'm working on at the minute is uh is a kinkster who is not a furry who is kind of being corrupted over to that side and he's commissioned <laughs> me to design his persona and it was funny because i was talking about this with a friend who is another kinkster and furry but they were like a furry first and foremost. And they were like, please don't tell me he's chosen a bear. And I laughed <laughs> and was like, I was like, yeah, he has. And my friend was like, no. And I was like, why? And he was like, every kinkster I've known that becomes a furry chooses a bear or a wolf. And I'm like, yeah, that that is true. Because there is like that that personal 
connection with that. Even kinksters who don't identify with bears have the knowledge that they're adjacent to bears. Yeah, yeah, and they have this sort of sort of cuddliness, but also fierceness, which works well with kinksters because you have that dichotomy of you want to be at times a little bit scary, a little bit imposing, very powerful, but also you can be very nurturing and very welcoming and very family orientated. And we talked about mama bears, like mother bear, a mama bear is like this slang term in all, like most, like just English speaking words of like a very protective nurturing figure. Yeah. I mean, my mum actually has a bear tattoo on her Ooh. back with two cubs that have the, the trans and gay flag for oh, me and my brother. Like my mum awesome. is like a self-described mama bear and always has been. I mean, my obviously like my mum took me and my brother to Pride from when we were quite like as soon as we came out essentially and was always very protective, not just of us at Pride events, but of like other kids. And even now that me and my brother are grown up and we go to Pride events, my mum's still like my mum like always takes extra water bottles and if like that people look too like hot or like you know uh, seem to be like struggling a bit she'll give them water if people are like protesters and stuff my mum is like shaming them I mean my mum at Edinburgh Pride last year this is quite funny she walked with my leather group wow because what had happened was I was like well, I'm going to walk with my leather group. But my mum always took me to Pride and I didn't want to just go, oh no, and like turn her out. And I was like, well, just walk with my leather group then. And she's like, would that be fine? And I was like, I don't know. So I messaged Fraser of Leatherman Scotland. And I was like, just to let you know, my mum's coming. She will be walking with me. Is this going to make anyone uncomfortable? And Fraser essentially responded with, if it makes them uncomfortable, they can answer to me because I think that's amazing and they should be happy that, you know, yeah mum accepts you so much and obviously i'm very privileged in that fact and on the day my mum did like her her pleather leggings and her leather jacket and her doc martens and did like almost like she really did do like the leather woman aesthetic which i thought was awesome and i'm very lucky but so yeah i I definitely think that in a sense corresponds with the mama bear thing and the leather woman thing that they are like you know, I think she she almost my mum does fit that very well. Funny enough, yeah. Oh, that is so, that is so cool to hear. I know like, it was it was amazing, but yeah, it was just you know I couldn't I couldn't turn her out at that point. Yeah. She'd been so accepting, and I think we we would have a lot less issues if more people were like that, yeah, and even definitely. more people were accepting of that because that's again like my fear was that that was going to make people uncomfortable. But you know, like pride should be for everyone all at once and we shouldn't be drawing like factions in the sand right yeah exactly no that is like a brilliant story yeah and that really like really does like embody sort of the mother bear aspect and like i mean so this is in one of my notes and again going back into mythology and folklore like so there is like this archetypical folk myth you find over and over again of the bear wife mm-hmm. which is almost like the direct inversion of the selkie myth where yeah. a woman and again it varies but this is the sort of sh- general shape it takes where a woman is kidnapped 
by bears. But once they take her back to the cave, they do like in mythology for like special animals so much, the bears can take off their pelts and they look human underneath. Mm -hmm. And she eventually sort of gets married to one of them, has kids with them, and then her original tribe comes back and either kills or chases off the bears. And she and her like half bear kids go back living with the village. And this is often sort of explaining why the sort of head of the town or tribe or culture is the head. It's like they're the head family because, you know, they're part mystical and part bear. And that's why they're so good on the battlefield. And Yeah, I find this real issue now, like, because I'm really into Ooh. mythology and folklore folklorology, I think it's called, where it's like the study of folklore particularly, which is a great word, by the way, where I find now that it's almost been washed with like a Western Christian perspective. Because I look at a lot of Scottish mythology and knowing what I know about Scottish culture, when they're saying like, like they look at the Selkie myth and they're they like some of the people who speculate on it say like, oh, it was a warning for women to be faithful to their husbands and stuff like that. And that's, not how I read it knowing Scottish culture. And if you yeah. look at the original Selkie myth, like it was in a lot of cases, it was women kind of Selkie women leading men around and they were under her spell, not the other way around. Like modern yeah. Selkie mythology represents as being for anyone who doesn't know the Selkie mythology is currently is like a beautiful woman who dons a seal skin and becomes a seal when she goes into the ocean. And then Typically in the mythology, the man will steal her pelt and she's compelled to marry him because she can't go back to the ocean. But the original mythology was like, she's so beautiful that he can't resist her charm. And it played into like fae mythology. A lot of early Selkie mythology is part of like the the fae sort of umbrella. But obviously that's kind of been washed with this like very Western Christian perspective of like, the woman is subservient to the man. And a lot of it doesn't see, like, what I wrote about in my essay about it was that it's, it's you know, it's rape. Like, she's being forced to marry this man and have, like, eight kids twum, it is in most yeah. of the apologies. But a lot of them are like, but she was, she comes to be very happy and it's like, he, he still forced her to marry yeah. him. Yeah, And then raped her multiple times. But because of this, unfortunately christian perspective it's seen as like but she became an obedient housewife and it's like and it's almost in a lot of modern silky mythologies it's treated as disobedience that she then finds her skin and goes back to the ocean because she was happy she had a good life apparently yeah like there are so many layers to the like silky myths and it should be noted like most silkies are not specifically women only Mm-hmm. Like there is a lot of beautiful silky men. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I like, yeah, because that's part of my the research that I did with mm. the original silky myth. A lot of it's about beautiful men. The only thing that really stays accurate is that they are described as like almost impossibly beautiful, and they turn into seals when they go in the ocean. But I talked to you about how I feel like the modern silky myth mm-hmm. at the time that it came around and started being documented as with a lot of scottish mythology was around the time of the the clan and tartan ban in scotland 
where Scottish people likely felt that their culture wasn't going to exist forever and was rapidly disappearing and being homogenised against what they they wanted. And you see a lot of Scottish mythology started being documented at this time. And like all mythology, but where Scottish mythology hasn't really been studied from this perspective, responds to the cultural fears of the time of that, where like this beautiful woman is essentially taken away from her culture and her home and forced into a strange culture with a strange man who has different beliefs than, yeah. than she does. And that, if that doesn't scream like for, for English colonialization, like that, you know, you're, you know, it's, that's just like, it's to me plain to see. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. And I mean, you're like, you also made the webcomic about, like a guy finds a male silky on a beach and it's really heartbreaking <laughs> yeah i did a short comic it's like one of my weird passion projects in life mm. i would if i if i had the the energy to be able to make a full comic i would do like a full mm. version yeah. of their story but i did do a short comic about a gay silky romance and used like like metaphors of not being able to go back home and stuff obviously that's a very like queer feeling yeah. and he basically they fall in love and the the silky man can't go back to his family for a long time because there's a whole thing in it about like tides and migration patterns and whatever so yeah i love that comic that's like that's one of my passion projects of all time i would yeah. love to be one of these artists that can just like bounce out comics constantly but i can't <laughs> Yeah, but like, I mean, I'll link to it in the show notes because I think people should read what you've done so far and it's amazing. Oh, thank you. And I just, yeah, like you said about like, often it's sort of animals as a metaphor for alienation from mainstream society for queer people. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Like keeping on the sort of aquatic theme, one of the newer terms, at least new to me, it could be around for ages, I don't know, is for trans men when they decide to have children to be referred to as seahorse dads yeah i've seen that and it's so for people who don't know seahorse biology seahorses it's actually the male that carries the children to term uh so like obviously in seven eight then the female passes the eggs i don't know the full details but obviously so you have male seahorses get pregnant and of course, this corresponds quite well to trans men who are going through pregnancy and still have children that way. And like, it has this sort of clashing thing because we talked about how sort of an using animals as sort of figures to be compared to and sort of be totemic of can help you deal with the sort of alienation from society. But it can also, in a way, sort of reaffirm our naturalness like one of the things often leveled against a lot of queer people is we are quote-unquote unnatural yes like our behaviors are unnatural the changes our bodies go through are unnatural and so pointing to examples that mirror us in nature going like pregnant men are fine like look at seahorses seahorses do it all the time it is natural is that sort of reaffirming of like our place in the world yeah um, it kind of ties into what i said about like it's not necessarily about dehumanization when queer people identify mm. with animals 
but bringing themselves to well, what you said is a great point to naturality where they're feeling you know where they can be like well I'm not weird because this I identify with this that does this in nature and that's a very normal thing and I I think that's true it's not necessarily about dehumanization but about finding comfort in the non-human which I don't think is the same thing no and it and it I mean this ties again into the pagan side of me it's like humans often separate themselves from nature and I feel we do lose a big chunk of ourselves through doing that yeah and queer people generally tend to be a bit more open to rediscovering that yeah I mean I'm someone who wants to you know Mm. because I grew up in like well I moved around a lot when I was younger but first of all Scotland's very close to nature but I lived in the rural highlands of Scotland when I was younger for a few years where we were like, you know, I think like 47 miles from the nearest street lamp and stuff like that. Like, so I, I definitely find myself now wanting to get back in touch with nature. But when I was reading the book that I was reading, he was talking about like, like bear camps and stuff where like a lot of bears, when you look at bear events, they're often intrinsically linked to nature in a lot of ways. Yeah. Even like, inner city bear clubs will do like camping trips and stuff like that and there is a a a part of that which is linked to nature he talked about in in the book the the writer talked about how they were excitedly showing photos on a digital camera that they'd seen two bear cubs and they were so excited and the the author noted that they obviously hadn't really they were so excited to have seen something that they related to that they didn't take on board how dangerous it was. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's very accurate of the wanting to be closer to nature. Yeah, like it is that sense of like even in sort of bear like when I go to people who are like really in the bear communities, like their living spaces, often it's a lot of wood plants earth throws again it is sort of even trying in like what we would think of human civilization bringing the nature back in you've literally just described my living room that's the funniest (laughs) part (laughs) see you are all wood and all plants and i'm literally in like a fuzzy throw right Mm. now so (laughs) but yeah and it Again, like we've been talking mostly of bears, but there's lots of other examples. I know for like bulls is a more recent one that sort of crept up, which is it's kind of an offshoot of bears. You get these, you get like otters and wolves, like as descriptors of guys who are hairy, but skinnier or more lithe. But then you have stuff like bulls where it's about gay men trying, well, I I need to stop saying gay men, like queer men trying to be huge and muscular, go for like the really power lifter, be as strong as they can. And that again gets pulled into sort of the fetish community, like bull play is becoming a big thing. Oh yeah. Uh Very hot. But it's funny to me, it's a really unique one, bull stuff, because it's the only one that I've seen that comes from the furry community. I don't know if anyone would agree with me on that, but I've seen it go from nothing to a lot of furries who obviously really identify with their animals, particularly bulls are sort of known in the furry community for really, really identifying with that. And that's where I and a few others, because I've talked about this before, saw bull stuff and bull play come from. So that's actually 
directly come from the furry community. Yeah, like we had our episode of Muscle Growth, Older Monty, who's like very big, well-known, bull furry, also massive bodybuilder in real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have two friends that I can think of and many others that I know, but two friends who are bull furries do bull play and are bodybuilders in real life and are like mass like you would describe yeah. them as like a bull if you saw them but i also know that like i was talking about this on mastodon last night about alternate forms of pet play i i've done obviously my first one of being a lion i've done lion play before mm-hmm. because that is really yeah. hot to me and it was sort of like you know and then i've had people go well how well, what does a lion do and i'm like you know it's like it's essentially modified pup play but you're playing into the aesthetics of like pride and the physical characteristics that you identify with and it's it's, you know very similar to that and i also want gear that represents that oh yeah and and it kind of works both ways because one of the things i've seen a lot of sort of in sort of furry comics around lions a big thing is like head shaving play (laughs) and it's like this whole big thing of like you know, this physical symbol of your pride, your mane is being shaved off and you're being sort of brought low and submissive. I have drawn that several many times <laughs> because I already have like a, I have a head shaving fetish and like mm. a haircutting fetish and stuff. So it only made sense. But I've drawn that several many times and it's something that I find I would probably, in terms of like porn art that would probably be in like my top 10 top 15 like fetishes mm-hmm. because again you're you're removing a, a, a physical symbol of somebody i wish i could find it again it was in a little discord server that and an artist had posted that and they never put on their socials where they had it was kind of the inverse they had taken they had a lion persona and they had taken someone else's dog persona and did a sequence of them like forcing them to grow their their fur out around their face and like shaving Mm. certain areas and making them act like a lion and sort of like it was sort of like a modified pup play or pet play sort of thing where they were forcing them to embody a role that they weren't naturally within that is really hot as well oh that is like again i've said many times on this podcast about like the whole thing of like forced appearance change modification control of appearance and again, it's like forcing someone into this very sort of specific, almost niche or archetypal role. I can very much get on that with that. Yeah, you know that we are both huge fans of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, appearance control to me is like, I mean, the the, the, the Mohawk, obviously it's not yeah. the Mohawk at the minute. The Mohawk came out of that. That was with a Dom at the time that I did that with. Mm-hmm. Like I went from... Like very, very quickly, it's quite funny looking at it. I went from my old glasses, long hair down to my shoulders, no facial hair. I'm still struggling in the facial hair department, no nose ring. And then in about two weeks, I went to having like a mohawk, new glasses that definitely, I think, sharpened (laughs) up my face, a septum ring. And then only a few months later, I started having like, I started being able to have any sort of facial hair at all and I I changed so quickly and there was about a three-month period where I definitely got very horny looking in the mirror (laughs) mirror. because that was right as I was working out as well so I was starting to be able to see like some muscles and stuff which was just like yeah um, that is very hot 
And I, I've had it again recently with rugby. I mean, I started playing rugby and that. I found when I started working out initially, the first time I started working out, my face shape changed and stuff like that really suddenly. I found the same with rugby. Mm-hmm. That, like, obviously, I've lost fat in my face. My face kind of hardened up in some ways. My I've gotten, like, more bulky shoulders from it. My thighs are huge at the minute. I know, right? There's definitely, especially after rugby, where you've got all that that pump, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror like, first of all, I do not recognise myself. And second of all, it's so hot that I don't recognise yeah, myself. Because yeah. <laughs> it is definitely, for me recently, there has been almost a depersonalization aspect with how quickly my appearance has sort of changed because of working out and rugby and stuff like that. Which is so good and so hard uh-huh. and something I would like to continue and would be much more fun if somebody else was enforcing it on me. My I DMs know. are always open. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I'm coming up to the sort of four and a half month mark since getting my nose piercing and like my master has said, okay, you're getting the next size up now. Now it's oh done healing. Oh god, can, yeah. you, can you ask him to tell me too? Because I've been trying to go off on lines for ages. And I just I just have no drive. I want to do it, but I have no physical drive to go out and do it. Just like, because I just don't think to. Yeah, like, with me, it's like, one of the other things he's told me I'm getting is nipple piercings. Now, I've always wanted nipple piercings, but I've never got round to getting them because, A, I'm a bit, bit of a coward when it comes to it and like piercings and yeah again it's just one of the things you don't really plan for so to have him say okay i have made this decision for you you are getting them has been really good yeah that is i'm so jealous of that that's so (laughs) hot you're so lucky but yeah like i mean that is that is always a fun thing and i know a lot of like queer men who like to play with their identity i mean i mean the most extreme example i can think of is like space pop silver who yeah plays with his identity just about every day like did you see the tattoo he got i was just about to bring up the tattoo yes that's so hot that's so good that's so amazing so for those who haven't seen space pop silver has got essentially the old plastic cover you'd get on toys that took three AAA batteries yeah tattooed quite large on his Mm. back and it is really i mean that is like that is peak like that is so furry that is Mm -hmm. unbelievable because you know what furry aesthetics and and kink are in my opinion revolutionary and i don't think a lot of folk who are not furries realize how revolutionary like furry kink content has been in mainstream yeah kink content like i know that like we're now seeing a more prevalence in the mainstream of things like obviously bulls we were talking mm-hmm. about like null bulges is yep. something that i've seen physical gear be made of mm-hmm. now oh the whole thing of like gear having the big padlock over the oh, crotch yeah, padlock. That totally comes from fairy art. Mm-hmm. Totally. There is a, a new UK company I need to... And when they start selling, they've only done some sample stuff, they do started doing, like, toy padlocks. So they're oversized padlocks <sighs> that use an oversized plastic key and then have, like, phrases on the front, like, toy, boy, sub. But they're, like, bright, bright colours with bright, bright lettering and, like, big oversized keys. I want one. Right? so it's so incredible so like so horny just like Mm -hmm. i love i think any 
fetish thing can be improved by making it not necessarily physically twice as big, but like twice as big. Like I think the bigger you go with leather, the better it gets. The the more yeah. colourful you go with like rubber and leather, the better it gets. The bigger the padlocks are, the more fun they are. Like and furries certainly are believers mm. in fetish that more is more. And I, Again, I love that because I'm a, I, I always call myself like a I always say like I'm a fetish maximalist. Yeah, and again, that goes into the whole butch. Like we was talking about how butch earlier is like this, like all the signifiers of masculinity like turned up to this ridiculous amount. Yeah, like the enormous cigars and now the enormous chains because everyone wants like a huge chain. Angry chain, yeah. It's funny. I had a leather friend, and he was saying about how ridiculous how big the chains are getting are, and he mm. was like. He was like, yeah, they keep saying they're anchor chains, but they're more like wanker chains. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did find quite funny. And I also know people who would find it hot that he called them that. So, I mean, but But pruning and curating your aesthetic to be like almost a stereotype of what you find hot. Like these guys that make themselves into living like Tom of Finland pieces and stuff. Mm -hmm. That is like its own. It's it's performance. It's it's gender performance. Oh yeah, there's a guy who lives around London who he his goal has been to do that, and like he's even like not only has he done the whole thing of like pumping his nipples so they grow like more outwards, he's tattooed around the areolas so they're like ridiculously huge areolas to make himself look like a Tom of Finland drawing. Oh my god. I love that though. Yeah, I, I but I love that. I like people who are not because obviously everyone in kink is a bit weird. Let's be honest. Yeah, I love people who are not afraid to get really weird, and I'm not saying weird in a bad way. I'm saying it in the most positive way. I love people that are like so like ridiculous with it. My friend, my friend Froggy is a good example. I help run the Rubber Social in Southampton with. He is well, as the title suggests, his first one is a frog, and his fursuit. Uh, is a big inflatable latex frog suit with like massive Z cup inflatable boobs and a 1.2 meter, I think, inflatable penis (laughs) with big, big thighs and like really, really curvy little waist and big inflatable frog head because to him, like that's what he wanted to become like a living rubber bimbo fetish drawing and that was something that to him ties into like his non-binary identity as well and i laugh because he's got the most fetish flags on one lanyard i've ever seen (laughs) because he's got like the furry one the rubber one the leather one the bear one the little one because he's into so many different communities because again like and i think a lot of non-binary people feel like gender is something you can take on and off and so is like identity i know that like all of my different fetishes are almost identity. You know, they're me, but they're also identities that I take on yeah. and off. Full, full leather. I always say that, like, I don't identify with gender because, like, full leather or full rubber is it closer to what I think gender should feel like than what I was born with. Yeah, uh, like, so both you and I on the sort of non-binary spectrum. Uh, and I get the impression we're quite similar in like where we are in that spectrum slash pick and mix, whatever you want to describe it as. And it's like, we talked about how we're both autistic and like gender and autism is really interesting because 
Oh, it's yeah. masking. And like you talking about how it's something you take on and off, it's like gender is a masking performance you do for others. Yes, totally. And again, like, that, again, fetish, like it's a form of masking. Like when I go out in my leather gear, it is a constructed mask I put on just as oh, rubber gear oh. is a different one I put on. But I think for me as well, like that's part of why I got into fetish is mm. that feels more like who I am than, mm. you know, what I present at like uni or like, you, you know, talking to like my neighbours. Like, and I think part of the reason that I, I like, I guess became non-binary was that, you know, when I got home after a long day or like even in a day in general, I didn't feel like a male. And on the list of things that were important to me in a day, week or month, being a male didn't even make that list. And I saw lots of people talking about like, you know, people who are like against like non-binary people and transgender people being like, well, I'm a man. And I was like, well, I don't feel like that. Like I, I've never felt like a man. Like, and I know that I'm a man. Like, and this is what people, this is like when I had this argument about me being non-binary at leather me. And he was getting really annoyed because he was going, you're trying to hurt my feelings. And he was going, well, you're a man. I'm like, I know I'm a man. <laughs> like, I'm aware, I'm well aware of that. Thank you very much. Like, I don't need to be told that, but I'm also, I don't identify with that whatsoever. The same way that, you know, people don't necessarily identify with what other people think they are. You know, plenty of people think I'm annoying and I identify as annoying. No, but you know, <laughs> I don't necessarily, you know, mm. list that when I'm listing like a list of traits about myself, the same way that I wouldn't say list, you know, I'm, I'm funny, I'm a flirt, I'm a male, I'm, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it's not the important thing. But, but I mean, to draw it back to the episode topic, because we've gone on a delightful tangent, like furries, I think that's a good way to pull it into sort of puppies as well, because there's this huge crossover. Oh, yeah. So many people into puppy play, I know, are also sort of, furries particularly dogs or wolf furries oh yeah and like i get the impression that's where a lot of like we've talked about how like furry really influences the current sort of fetish climate and sort of trends and sort of up and coming fetishes that people are learning about and sort of exploring and i feel that's like one of the main ways into the fetish community that it's come is because there is such this sort of overlap between furry and puppy, which then brings it into the wider fetish community. Yeah. And I even see like a lot of particularly bears, Mm. even though they're not furries, they identify in some regards with the furry community. Yeah. And feel that it to some regard represents them. I know a lot of bears who are not furry and don't identify as furry, but still like, you know, art of bears and, like, porn of bears and, you know, talk about, like, oh, well, obviously, if I had a fursona, I would be a bear. Or even go as far as, like, I've seen bears who are not furries who have commissioned art of them as bears. bears, To them, that they identify with that, they relate to that, and that is almost, like, affirms their identity in some regards. Yeah, no, and I can totally see that. And it's not this sort of hard siloed off thing. It's like, at what point do you become a furry? Especially when like you're a bear or a puppy and your whole thing is, I like put on a puppy mask. Yeah, I mean, I I, I know that like I'm a furry. I don't necessarily identify even with the, the furry community. I mean, I don't really go to fur meets. Uh, hmm. I, I've been to like 
two or three fur mates and like you know several several years of being a furry and being a, like a full-time furry artist i've certainly never been to a fur con although my friends keep trying you know because I, I there's just things i identify with more and i don't see it as i think some guys when they're like oh i like furry stuff but i'm not a furry i'm like well you don't have to like draw the line in the sand so harshly like just yeah do what you enjoy oh you just remind me of one of the many fairy dramas i remember happening across like social media was Oh God. Again, can't remember any of the details, but one of the big fur cons banned people from wearing Mr. S puppy hoods. Oh, a lot of them have. And it's like, oh. but but it's just a puppy mask. The, what people choose to do with them, either at other meets or in the privacy of their own hotel rooms is fine. But like, it's just a mask, just like every other fursuit there. Mm-hmm. I- yeah, my friend Froggy, who I was telling you mm. about, he was one of like the original, original rubber furs. Like he mm-hmm. really started that community back in like the late nineties, and he he went to a con and beforehand was like, "Am I okay to wear my fur suit on the con floor?" It was you know like an adult con stuff like that, and obviously the suit's risque, but he wears like cover ups with it and stuff. And they were like, yep, you can wear rubber. And he turned up and he got told that he had to leave the con floor because it was inappropriate. And he was like, it was, you know, you, they were like, you can't be showing your sex stuff on the con floor. And obviously he was quite hurt by this because he was like, well, I checked. Yeah. And then they ended up naming the the rule that you couldn't wear rubber after him. It then became known as the Rapido rule, which was the name of his persona. And that then spread to other cons. So there's like several cons that have like the Rapido rule, which is that you can't wear rubber. Which is quite horribly exclusionary in some regards as well. Naming a rule after someone yeah. <laughs> you know is quite nasty in some regards. But you know, he's worked really hard to make, like, the, the, the rubber fur community thing. That's why I'm trying to make a... Obviously, I was telling you that I'm trying to kickstart a leather fur community because I think there's a lot of furries that identify with leather but don't really see an end to that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of leathermen that see things that they like in the furry community but don't think they really belong in the furry community. So I'm trying to create some cross um cross I don't yeah. breathing, but cross pollination um, cross pollination <laughs> <laughs> very polite no okay so we are coming up to time so i think we should just go through some honorable mentions of animals we've not really had time to touch upon mm-hmm. one of my favorite ones is i've got a friend who's from israel and he says out there gay men who are muscular and smooth so basically the opposite of bears are known as dolphins because you've got this really smooth muscular guy i love that 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 gives me like the mental image of a really hairy smooth naked guy like jumping through water yeah Yeah. And you said you've got some from around the world you found in your research not i've i've seen bits and pieces obviously Mm -hmm. there's the long sordid history of different bears from different places like when they you know some especially older bears will be like oh well if you're asian and you're a bear you're a panda bear which i've known some asian guys do connect with but there is a whole conversation now then obviously i i know that like i've heard some really specific terms another one that i'm seeing alongside boar coming up and about mm-hmm. uh, alongside bull is boar just spoiled my own point i've seen a lot of guys now who 
don't necessarily feel everything about bear or cub are identifying with boars. Particularly, I, I notice a lot of them are really into musk. Yeah, um, I can see that. Are sort of more into like pig aesthetics mm-hmm. and kink. So it's sort of like a modified version of the the bear aesthetic. And that brings like pigs in the kink community. Pig yep. is a big one, which it can just mean like you're really quote-unquote greedy for stuff like more sex more cock it can also have other connotations about muck and piss yes yeah i mean i know people who identify with pig who are on one side like you know not that piggish and then on the other side Mm -hmm. people who are into like really extreme things Mm -hmm. and they consider that as like part of their their pig play which i find really interesting personally you know i've then i have i've had like quite a close-knit group of people who identify as lions myself Mm -hmm. included like i would definitely say that's like one of my identifiers because that identifies a lot of things that i try to embody in my everyday life and a lot of my friends who also identify as lions are very similar what i was saying about identifying with like being prideful protective of their community stuff like that i think is something that you could potentially see becoming more of a thing in coming years. Oh yeah. I, I'm trying to remember what it was with pe I mean peacocks come up a lot. There is a culture, and I'm trying to remember which one it is, where like saying someone's a peacock is saying like they're homosexual or flamboyant. And also like yeah. peacock imagery, like from the Victorian era, was often quite associated with sort of sort of homosexuality. Yeah, that one's interesting because obviously peacocking is like quite an English thing of going kind of outside the norm to show off and they they would be like, you know, especially in the the past, like Victorian times would be like, Well, oh no, I'm not I'm not I'm not queer, I'm I'm just I'm just a peacock. And that's something that you can trace back where these really flamboyant guys would wear really flamboyant outfits and be like, Oh, I'm just a peacock. Which I think is really interesting. I yeah. definitely identify with that one as well because I, <laughs> I can wear quite loud things in my day to day life. This is one of the things I love about fetish events is the peacocking, where like people oh, yes. get outfits just to show off, and they oh often yeah, look that's amazing. one of my favorite things about the Rubber Social that mm-hmm. I help run. Is it's one of the most diverse groups of outfits I've ever seen, even for a rubber as many rubber yeah. events as I've been to. You see people there, there's there's one woman there, she wears a full-length latex gown with latex lace that she made by hand and like stuff. It's incredible. So and it's like almost like a Victorian gown made entirely of latex that she made. Oh, and I'm like, that. what other fetish event could you see something yeah. like that at? And then you get the people because obviously the rubber social being started and run, this rubber social is being started and run by a lot of furries, mm. you see the people in the big rubber fur yeah. rubber suits and stuff like that. You get a lot of pony players and stuff like that. And leather as well. I obviously I came to the London Leather Social for the first mm-hmm. time and I saw a lot of different ways of wearing leather which i really appreciate and leather in scotland's and in, in my opinion yeah. with that as well where you get more colored leather than i have truly ever seen anywhere i i've said it before i'm really glad colored leather's coming in oh yeah and like some of the stuff i like really like to get for my leather outfits don't come from fetish dealers they come from 
sort of leather workers who mostly work with LARPing things, like my van braces. I love my van braces, which are the big, thick leather bands, but they've got like, one's got a Celtic bear carved onto the left arm, and the other one's got sort of a Celtic spiral pattern stag on the other. Oh, yeah. They're one of my favourite things to show off. There's a photo of you, this is just going to be a quick thirst moment, (laughs) where you've got both of them on and you've got like a harness and it's like a mirror selfie. Mm. That photo like gets me hot and bothered every time I see it. You look so hot there. I don't think I'd be able to look you in the eye dressed (laughs) like that, honestly. I would just be like... Have to try it next time. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, like, I always talk about, like, I'm quite a peacock i love color i love wearing color i i wear mostly full black leather because that's very different for me and that's another aspect of playing with my identity so yeah do we have sort of a wrapping up thesis around sort of queer people and animals oh that's a that's a good question i would say queer people across all spectrums not just queer men because i know a lot of lesbians Mm -hmm. identify with yeah animals as well non-binary people particularly there's so many different prevalences that i could speak of here it's not necessarily to do with dehumanization Mm -hmm. it is to do with acceptance and community and being different to what is societally and nominally acceptable and that the prevalence of these communities has come out feeling Oh god, I've lost my train of thought. You know, like, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, like both sort of is that contradiction of both being open to what is outside of society and accepting that mm. in, but also showing it is like there's a naturalness to you, and it's yeah, it's really hard to describe. Yeah, it, it is quite hard to describe. But, and that's the thing, like, this is what you find reading about it, is that people don't particularly know how to describe it. You know, I feel that people will, opt, especially marginalised people, will always be drawn to communities. And at a point in which those communities begin to get more acceptance, they mm-hmm. will typically splinter into the yeah. more acceptable parts of those communities and the less acceptable parts of those communities. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're seeing, like, a big prevalence in, like, bears and kink people and stuff like that because they are less acceptable than the more acceptable to monogamous gay men who get married and have kids and they're they're seen by a lot of people as on different levels of acceptability yeah and communities will be formed out of that because that's how you find solidarity and acceptance not only in a community but within yourself as well yeah no i think that's a really good sort of wrapping it up of it like we could just go on and on about this oh but yeah this could yeah. be a several hour long <laughs> recording yeah but yes yeah, so if people like your stuff i mean you say you're a fairy artist you do commissions where can people find you yes so on my leather stuff i am scottish.leatherboy on instagram I am Leatherboy Adam, all one word on Twitter. And if you like weird furry porn, I am Acrasials Art on Twitter, which is A C R A S I A L S underscore R. 
I'd practice that one a little bit in my head before because I thought you might ask me. Yeah. I will link it in the show notes as well for people. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, thank you for coming on. And thank you for having me. Yeah. As always, listeners, thank you for listening in and play safe.